0: We're going to read from God's Word this morning and we're kind of uh, doing our part two from Romans chapter 8 this morning and we're reading again from Romans 8 verse 18 down to verse 39. So it's the same verses that we read from last week and we're going to continue looking at these verses together this morning. So that's Romans chapter 8 reading from verse 18 down to verse 39. Let's listen to God's Word together. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful words that we spent some time looking at last week. And we got up to um, about verse 30. So if you're wondering what part one was about, and you've not seen it uh, after this service, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to part one because it's important for the context of where we are. But just in case you didn't hear last week or you've forgotten, last week we looked at the three encouragements that Paul brought to us um, and that he shared with the people in Rome as They were enduring suffering and hardships, and we said that verse 17 is like the opening lens about those um, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And actually, as part of the, the life of a believer of Jesus, yes, there is glory coming, and we will be glorified one day with Christ, But if that is the case, we need to be prepared to suffer with him in this world and in this life. So we go through hardships. We go through difficult times. We said that being a Christian isn't like living in a vacuum or living on a bed of roses. We don't come to Jesus and then all of our problems and troubles disappear. But what we do get, though, is when we hope in Christ, the hope of glory far outweighs anything that we have to endure in this life life. So, we're going to pick up from verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And in our verses that we've read this morning, we do see this kind of, not shift, because it undergirds everything that Paul is saying in his letter of Romans, but we do see, maybe for the first time in our verses that we've read together this morning, this Notion and understanding of the importance of the sovereignty of God in the work of our lives, that God is at work, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And I think quite often as we quote this verse and we see it on cards and as we say it to people in texts, I think sometimes we only give the first part of that verse that uh, all things are going to work together for good for those that love God. And actually the danger of that is, is thinking that, well, you know, the good that we want in this life, we we can just try and go and attain whatever we want to see happen and we can call it good because we love God and ultimately good things are going to happen to us. But that isn't really what this verse is saying. And it's so important that we hold that verse in the context that it's spoken of and the importance of remembering that these these things that are working together for good, for those that love God, are working in parallel and out of those that are called according to his purpose. I've said it before here, but uh, just in case you've never heard it, the the motto of, of the Isle of Lewis is, the Lord's providence is our inheritance. I love that phrase, the Lord's providence is our inheritance. That God is at work in us and through us. And that our inheritance with him is secured because of God's providence. What's interesting about this verse, in verse 28, The word works and the phrase, those who love God, are both in the present tense in the original language. Works and those who love God are both in the present tense. Now, why is that important? Well, what it means is that God is continually working in your life. He is continuing to work in your life. He hasn't just saved you and left you in limbo until your glorification at the day of Christ's return that will happen like the twinkling of an eye. But even in between those two events, he is continuing to work in you and through you because you've been called in accordance to his purpose. And part of that work is the process of sanctification. And we see that even uh, evident and present in our verses this morning about being conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is working in the believer to make the believer more like the one who has saved us and who we love, Jesus himself. So, God is continuing to work in us and through us, but also those who love God, that is also in the present tense. Now what does that mean? Why is that important? Well what it shows us friends is that being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian is not a static relationship. We are meant to continually love God and lavish our love upon him, continue to grow in our love for him. It's like any relationship that, needs, that, that works or thrives, it needs to be worked at. Spend time with the person and as you grow in love, and that's, that's kind of what this is saying, is those who continue to walk out their love for God, those who are continue to be committed to Him. When you come to Christ, it is a moment that changes every second from there on after, where God continually works in our lives according to His purposes. And who is it That God is working in all these things for good. Who is it? Well, it's those who love him. Those that are called according to his purpose. Friends, we need to remember this. Jesus isn't just our saviour, but he is also our Lord. Yes, he is our saviour, but we need to remember the lordship of Christ. That we need to bow the knee to him. That he is the king and that we follow him and obey him out of the overflow of our love for him. When I started training for ministry, um, my first placement was, um, was assigned to me. And I spent six months in a church at the east end of Glasgow. And then after that first placement, um, I, I was given this bit of paper where I, I could go and I could choose any church that I wanted to go and do a placement with that would that were able to take me so I was given this list and it was quite a big list and I looked at it the day it came through the post and I was thinking where in the world do I choose? I, I virtually knew no Church of Scotland ministers in Glasgow. I hadn't been down in Glasgow that long. Uh, and even though I did, the, those that I knew weren't Church of Scotland churches or Church of Scotland ministers. So I looked at this list and it just, it's quite overwhelming actually. I didn't have a clue where I should go, who should I get in touch with, where do I even begin. And this verse about those who love and are called according to God's purposes, that he's going to work all things together for our good, it came to my heart. It's often a verse that comes to my heart whenever I'm faced with difficulties or hardships or choices and decisions that I need to make. And I looked at this list that I was given and I just prayed, God, will you just lead me and guide me to the right place? So I just plucked one church off the list. I wouldn't go as far to say it as it was a bit of an eeny, meeny, miny, mo, but it wasn't too far from that because I had no, no idea. I didn't know where I would fit in theologically, I didn't know where we be were the best for stretching me and, and, and training me to be a minister. I didn't have a clue. So I just plucked one uh, and put it down, and I went to meet that minister, and his name was Campbell McKinnon, and he was the minister at Balshagri Victoria Park. And I did a 12-week placement with Campbell and the folk at BVP, and I absolutely loved my summer with them. It was great. But here's the thing. God was not just preparing me for my 12-week summer placement, but God was already preparing the next steps for me after my training. Now, how do I know that? Well, one of Campbell's good friends is a man named uh, the Reverend Murdo McLean, who was the interim moderator in Sandy Hills during your vacancy. And I didn't know Murdo. I hadn't known Campbell until I did 12 weeks with him. But after my placement and when Cam- and Murdo became the interim moderator here, Campbell passed my name on to Murdo. So if you're wanting anyone to blame, it's Murdo and Campbell's fault. Now, some would say that it's a coincidence that these things have happened, that I've ended up here, but I would tell you that there's no such thing. That God was at work, even behind the scenes, in ways that we would never even imagine, preparing the steps for his people to take. The Reformed theology of God's sovereignty is so important, that God is in control and that we can trust him, that he's good and that he's working out his plans in accordance with his purposes. So God's sovereignty, things like predestination, election, calling, uh, some would call this Calvinism. It is such a a, a deep thing that has impacted our nation of Scotland, so much so that even people out with the church speak things that actually have flown from this understanding that God is ultimately in control and that he is working things together for his people's good. So John Knox, who was instrumental in the Protestant Reformation at the beginning of the 16th century, he brought this Reformed theology and this, this thinking and shifting in our understanding of how church had been done in Scotland. And I'm not going to go into the whole history of the Protestant Reformation, but Calvinism and this understanding of the sovereignty of God and the providence of God has taken a a real driving seat um, and cornerstone of the Reformed position. And like I said, this has influenced our, our nations in many, many different ways. And one of them is, is through phrases that people, even who aren't Christians, out with the church, phrases that they say, that I think you could probably find their birthing out of this understanding of God's sovereign purposes for his people. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? Whatever will be, will be. Sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Or the other one that I often hear people say, and I love, what's for you won't go by you. But where do these things come from? If we're living in this random, chaotic world where nothing is certain at all, how can those things be true? Well, those things are true because they've taken their birthing out of the reformed position of the sovereignty of God and his plan that he's working in his people's life. You see, friends, God is not just the perfecter of our faith, but he is also the author of it. And it's called history because it is his story. Friends, let me say this. If it wasn't for God, we would still be living under the wages of our sin. We were dead in our sins. We had no hope. We were dead. We weren't just knocked out. We weren't just passed out. We weren't just in a coma. We were dead in our sins until God called us to himself. Now, why did God call us to himself? Well, verses 29 and 30 say this, Because those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. He is making his people, his followers, his followers, his bride to become like the image of his son in all of his glory. And we have no reason to be afraid regardless of what we go through. Remember, the context of what we're reading here is about the suffering and hardships that we face in this life as believers. And the reason that we have nothing to be afraid of is this, that God is at work continually, and he's carrying out his saving purpose. His plan for redemption, for your redemption, was in place even before this world was created, before the foundations of the world, Christ was crucified. Because he foreknew you, he predestined you, he chose you And then it goes on to say that he's called you and he's justified you and he will glorify you because he's working out his purposes in your life so that you can be conformed and made into the image of his son, ultimately for his glory. God is sovereign. Jesus is not just our savior, but he is our Lord. And we need to understand that God's sovereign touch, the sovereign touch of God's grace, is what has brought us into life. We were dead in our sins, not just in a coma, like I said, but we were dead. Now, if you're dead, you can't do anything, absolutely nothing. And we see that, I love the image of, of when God stepped down in the cool of the day, in the garden of Eden after sin. That is who our God is. He steps in. He is the one who initiates. He is the one who makes the first contact. Because if he didn't, Adam and Eve would never have been able to reach him. If Jesus' incarnation didn't happen, he didn't come and make his dwelling among us, we would have been left with no hope. Our hope of glory is only found in Christ Jesus. Look at Lazarus. He didn't decide to come out of that grave by himself, did he? He was dead. He'd been dead for a number of days. They were mourning him. He was dead. It was Jesus that called Lazarus out of the grave. And God's call is an effectual call. His grace is irresistible. Lazarus didn't go, do you know what, Jesus? I'm hearing you, but I'm going to stay dead here. That's my choice. Absolutely not. When Jesus spoke life into Lazarus' dead body, Lazarus had no choice but to come back to life. Such is the power of Jesus. And friends, in verse 30, what we see is this divine sequence, the sequence of divine action, where God's plan is at work in his people's life, bringing them into the likeness of his Son. God chose you, he saved you, and he will glorify you. Because we know that ultimately, God has a good plan for his people. And then verse 31, when you begin to understand how active our God is in our lives, that we owe everything to him, that we were dead in our sins, we've only, become a, only, we've only come to life because of Jesus. We've only come to life because of the touch of God's amazing grace. We were blind. We didn't make ourselves see. We had no, nothing to do with it. All we've done is just asked him into our lives. It is him who has come to us. It's him who has called us by name. It's the Father that allows those who He wants to come to His Son. And it's when we begin to understand how, how, how active God has been in our lives, how secure we are, how He's predestined us, how He foreknew us, how He chose us, how He's glorified us, and how He's justified us. When we understand how active God is in our lives, we can then begin to say, as verse 31 is the natural flow on from that position, what then shall we say to these things? These things being the hardships and the sufferings that we endure in this life. If God is for us, who can be against us? And friends, our God is for us. He is for us. He predestined us. He called us. He's justified us and he's going to glorify us. He is for us. So if God is for us, who can be against us? What do we then say to our persecutions, our hardships, our sufferings, the things that we endure in this life? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is working out his good plans for those who love him and have been called according to his purposes, who can truly be against us? If God foreknew us, predestined us, has chosen us, justified us, and will glorify us, who can be against us? If God is fighting for us, friends, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And although by nature we are sinners, It didn't stop God from stepping down and chasing us, calling us, justifying us, and our future glorification. Friends, our future glorification is such a certainty. Do you not see what the Apostle Paul says here in Romans chapter 8 verse 30? He also glorified. He speaks about it as in the past tense. Such is the certainty of our future that is secure and our inheritance that we find in Jesus It is so secure that he could speak of it as being in the past tense. It is done. Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. And he did all this. Why? Verse 32 onwards, you begin to see the the, the extent of the love of God that he has for you and for me. He did this because he loves you. His love for you was so great. That he gave heaven's best. He gave Jesus. And what Paul is saying here, because we're going through hardships, difficult times, sufferings, things that people, people would have been in need because of these contexts and situations they found themselves in. And Paul says in verse 32, God didn't spare his own son, but he gave him for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If you're in need, look at your need in relation to the cross of Calvary, everything that we do should flow from the place of the cross of Calvary. That is how we see the extent of God's love for us. We look at the cross of Calvary. When we're in need and we have things that we need in life, whether it be um, emotional things, whether it be material things, whether it be spiritual things, whatever it is we are longing for and praying for, God has already given us His best. He has already poured out everything heaven had in the giving of his son. So, of course, anything else that we need in this life, he is going to provide for us. Because he is the God who provides. He provided Jesus. And everything that we need, we need to look at it in relation to him, his son that he gave. And then Paul, again, he, he draws on this theology of election. And and why does he do that? Well, he does it to breed confidence in the life of the believer. In verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? You are not just some random Christian, but you are God's elect. And that breeds this, not arrogance, but it should breed gratitude. It should, it should give us a, a boldness that we find, not because we've done anything in and of ourselves, but because of how active our God has been in our life, bringing us to this point. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one. How? There is no higher judge than God Almighty. There is no higher tribunal. There is no higher authority than God himself. The one who has called us. The one who makes us righteous because of the shedding of his own son's blood. So who who else has any authority to condemn us? Absolutely no one because God has forgiven us. He has set us free. And if he has set us free, The word says you are free indeed. Jesus came not to condemn us, but he came to save us, as he says in John's gospel. So with that being the case, Paul says, and he asks this question again, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, danger, or sword. Then in verse 36, he quotes this psalm that points to the hardships that God's people face. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Paul pulls in these situations that the, the, the readers of this letter would have been experiencing. The sword, which is death, persecution and famine, nakedness, distress, tribulation, all these hardships that they were going through, that was their reality. They're not our reality in this comfortable western world that we live in. Although friends, we need to pray against persecution. I don't know if you saw about that man in England who was arrested for preaching from Genesis just over the last couple of weeks and locked up in jail in in the cells because of it happening in the UK. And as we see that probably rise up and happen more, friends, we need to hold on to these verses that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not even our sins are keeping us from God anymore because Jesus Christ paid for them. If Jesus doesn't condemn us, if he has saved us, Who else can lay a glove on God's elect? And then Paul, in verse 37, he answers the question he's asked in verse 35. Can these things like tribulation and sword and famine and so on, can they separate us? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. These things can't separate us from the love of Christ. Why Because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It is the love of Jesus that makes us more than conquerors. Nothing you endure, experience, or go through in this life can separate you from God's love. Nothing, and that is the gospel truth. If you have been sealed by the blood of the Lamb, forgiven by Jesus, you are secure in the hand of God and you are his elect. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. He says that you're not good enough, but God says, come as you are. The devil says, you can't do this, but Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. The devil says, you're going to be stuck like this forever. And God says, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The devil says, you are distant from God, and you're going to be stuck in that place forever. Look, God has surely abandoned you. Look at everything that's going on. But God says in his word to you this morning, and he refutes, and he He clears that lie, and accusation that the devil brings over you. And he says that nothing can separate you from my love. You are secure in Jesus Christ. And it is the knowledge and the awareness of the love of God that enables us as believers to face hardships and come through it as more than conquerors because of Christ's love. Just in closing... Paul gives another list in verses 38 through to 39. And the purpose of this list is, again, to highlight just how secure you are. That not even death. This list basically shows you that there's nothing in this world universe or even death that you can experience that can separate you from God's love. That is how secure you are in your salvation. Friends, it is true that we face difficult times in this life, but God is ever at work in all circumstances, making those who belong to him through his sovereign plan of salvation become more like his son Jesus. Sufferings we may face now, yes, but the glory that is coming and the hope of glory that we have far outweighs any suffering that we may face. And I do not say that to diminish or to downplay how difficult a period you might be going through in this life right now. But I do say it so that we begin to understand and that we continue to understand the hope of glory that we have in Christ Jesus and just how secure we are in his love. We are united with the one who is perfect love, God himself. So friends, live in the knowledge that you are secure in his love. That love for you which is already complete. His love is perfect and his perfect love, it casts out all fear. You can't get him to love you anymore. And there's nothing that you can do and nothing that you'll go through that will make him love you any less. His love for you is perfect. It is complete. And he has already given everything that heaven has for you. I began last week by asking this question, is Jesus enough? let me ask it to you again. Is Jesus enough? We're going to listen to a praise song that I heard over the last couple of weeks, which I've been listening to on repeat, and it's called JIra," which means God will provide. And may we begin to live in the truth of who God says that we are through his son, Jesus Christ, no longer living under the lies of the enemy, but entering into the fullness of our salvation. Let it speak to your very soul and let God's Holy Spirit minister to you as these words are sung over you. There's one line in particular that I want you to listen to and I want you to pray it over yourself. And this is what it says, I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know that you've spoken. And after we've listened to this song, we're going to sing our concluding item of praise, which is the power of your love.